shining a beacon on the bazaar. Lamp cleaning time. Yep, it's that day again, my friend. Yeah. Time, to key, uh, time, to, time to clean the lamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Well, that's the wanking out of the way. Yep. Time to clean the lamp. Yeah, let's get at it. <laughs> yeah, it won't clean itself. It won't, Matt. Let's get the cloths. We'll get cleaned up. I mean, let's face it, we've got our polishing action just right. <laughs> yeah, I've got the rhythm, our yeah. kid. I've got the rhythm. The really shiny bulb. Tell you what, I'm a little bit tired, though, first. Can we have a little oh. sit down first? Yeah, of course we need to sit down after that. I've got right wobbly legs. <laughs> <laughs> Come dancing. <laughs> <laughs> but what can we do when we have a sit down? The best thing you do when we have a sit down is do a bit of casting. Oh, that would be lovely. Yeah, yeah, because this is Crack and Cove. The <laughs> podcast that shines the beacon onto the bazaar. And I'm Matt. And I'm Benny. And we're going to just shine our light. It's not, he's not shining yeah, yet. a little bit it? dull, but yeah. it still shines well. A bit, bit spattered. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, it does come up a treat after that stuff's yeah. on it. <laughs> But yeah, so it's, oh, we're going to cast our light out across the seas, across the mainland, across the sky sometimes. Oh, yes. Because that's what we do here. We just find lots of bizarre stories, weird news, uh, and some little lovely oddities. Just yeah, and out. tell thee all yeah. about it. Yeah, so we're going to do that. So I think without further ado, we should get ourselves settled down. Yeah, I'm sat down already. Legs <laughs> gone. With a nice post-wank post dinner pop. <laughs> the sugar's back in. <laughs> and we'll do a bit of casting. <laughs> Right, first boat out of the harbour this week, mm. right? It's uh, it's a bit of a weird one, is this? Because we covered it last week, or should I say two weeks ago. Um, I would like to just step in here and apologise. that we, we, I know we're looking that we're going fortnightly at the moment, but we're not. this is only a temporary measure. Yeah, Because yeah. Things, well, have been a bit, be, things have been a bit busy at the Cove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but hopefully soon they won't be as busy and hopefully have a little bit more free time to uh, so, provide some more shows. Exactly. Less work and more Cove. Yeah, that's, that's what we need. We need that on T-shirts, don't we? Yeah. But this was two weeks ago we covered this. And it was the uh, the mysterious marine monster. Oh, sweet. Have we got an identification? Well, that's the thing. We haven't. That's but good. I love a mystery story. If you remember rightly, when we were talking about that particular story, I was saying, I think we could be facing a bit of a cover-up here. They were sort of turning around and saying, yeah. it's a bit of a marine monster. They said, oh, but then they're frightened to actually come out and say it's a shark. Yeah, yeah. And I've uncovered something here which might provide to say it wasn't a shark. And I think they did know that it wasn't a shark. And I think they turned around and said, might have been a shark, that. Wow. Right? And the story itself, I think they have, they have actually covered up some of the story. 
Brilliant. So they filtered it out. So this is from uh, this is from Paul Seaburn, uh, who's writing for Mysterious Universe. Um, have a look at Mysterious Universe. It's a great website. And I know Paul Seaburn's work. I've read a few of his things here cool. and there before. He's a good writer. Trusted chap. He's a trusted chap. He's a good yeah. writer. Yeah, he's yeah, a really yeah. good writer. And I'm, I really like his stuff. So he's, he's worth just sniffing out. Yeah. So big thanks to you, Paul. Thanks for this one. And he writes... On August the 4th, a man fishing from his kayak in the waters off Boscombe Beach in Dorset, off the southwest coast of England, was nearly capsized by a huge, mysterious creature he could not identify. God. The beach was closed by the RNLI, which is obviously the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but no creature was found. However, some reported splashes and overheard lifeguards saying they hadn't seen anything like it in 35 years. Oh, wow. On August the 8th, it was classified as a large marine animal, and arguments between marine experts, lifeguards and fishermen resolved nothing. On August the 11th, just a few miles off Branscombe Beach, a swimmer practising to swim around the Isle of Wight bumped into what may have been the same mysterious creature... And 50 of its friends. 50? 50. And it's massive. Is it a pod of whales or something? Well, this is the thing. It's it's the don't know. So, uh, there's a, the quoted now is saying, There were sightings of large marine life at Boscombe Beach. The situation is being closely monitored by RNLI lifeguards who are asking visitors to stay away from the water and have put up red flags. RNLI lifeguards flagged the beaches for a short period of time to investigate reports of unidentified marine life. We still have no confirmation of what the creature was, and everyone going into water should enjoy it. But, as always, respect the water and exercise an appropriate level of caution, including keeping around 200 metres for marine life for their your and their safety. God, that's, what you've what? that's a bit of a swim, isn't it? 200 metres to get away from it. Well, this is the thing. What? You know what I mean? So it's like, but even so now, right, we can identify, you should be able to narrow down what these creatures yeah. or creature is. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it should be from a limited sort of like a, a set of templates, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So you could be down to like some sort of porpoise, be it um, uh, dolphins, or yeah, literally yeah. porpoises, things like that. You know what I mean? Perhaps even a killer whale kind of thing around yeah. the area. But we'd know it from the big fins. Yeah. You'd know as well straight away that uh, if it's a basking shark, the big triangular fin, we'd know what it was. Yeah. There's lots of things that you can identify quite quickly and easily what these large creatures are. Yeah, yeah. No IDs yet, and that's the thing. Any description at all? Any kind of skin tone or any? I don't know. Well, let's read on. Let's have a little look. See what else we know, right? So the Falmouth Packet, right, which is a, which is a uh, it looks like a, a bit of a local paper or something. Oh, like nice, it, that's right? good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Reported the August fourth unidentified marine life encounter, which forced the RNLI to clear the waters and send lifeguards out on jet skis. So witnesses estimate the mysterious sighting kept them out of the water for about an hour, right? And that might have been the end of it, except for Darren Tapper, who was fishing from his kayak at Boscombe Beach around the same time. And he says, I was pulling a lure back to shore, and something grabbed it. I almost turned over in my kayak. I spun around and saw a big shadow. When I got back to the beach, the jet ski was being launched, and the lifeguards were telling everyone to get out of the water. And I know what fish are. It was something big. As a fisherman, I've never heard of a shark in these waters, so that was the last thing on my mind. Now, Tapper told the Bournemouth Echo he found a hole in his kayak and was lucky to be alive, especially because he didn't think it was a shark. 
even though, I quote, I don't know what else would have that kind of power. So that was on the August the 5th. Now the Dorset Echo followed up on the August the 8th and the RNLI reported it still hadn't determined what the mysterious marine animal was. So Sarah Hodgson, a coastal centre's assistant at the Dorset Wildlife Trust, told the Echo that British sharks aren't considered to be dangerous or aggressive to humans and the biggest ones, basking sharks, eat only plankton. So Tappers encounter is highly unusual. Oh, God, this is bizarre. Yeah. So Peter Tinsley, the Marine Policy and Evidence Manager at the Dorset Wildlife Trust, confirmed this, saying local sharks wouldn't take a lure. He thought it might have been a bluefin tuna or even a large sunfish. Mm. So something like that. And he says, this is the swimmer now saying, you know, who was who was in the water. Yeah. So he's saying, like, before we set off, I joked about being attacked by sharks and we were laughing about it. Then during the swim, I started getting bumped and things were nibbling my hands and feet. The parts which weren't covered by my wetsuit. And it was pretty unnerving at first, but when I realised what it was, I just enjoyed the experience, which was amazing. It was fantastic to see so many sharks in the wild just behaving naturally. What the fuck? And he's enjoying getting nibbled. I mean, yeah. I mean, the question here is, it's natural for sharks to nibble on your hands and feet? Uh, Long-distance swimmer Ollie Rush apparently thinks so. (laughs) (laughs) No thanks. I mean... That's just bizarre. So do you reckon sharks then? Is this what it is? Like a massive I'm not so sure. I, I, I disagree. I mean, they're saying now, could one of these sharks be the mysterious creature that shut down Boscombe Beach and attacked Darren Tapper in his kayak? Does anyone really think it was a giant sunfish? If sharks don't care for humans, why were they tasting Rush's feet and hands? Are British sharks losing their proper manners and acquiring an affinity for humans? Or did Tapper and the swimmers... And lifeguards at Boscombe Beach really see see something else. So they don't know now, but apparently people are swarming to the beach on the lookout for it. Wow. You know, they want to know what it was. Now I, I've got a few questions here, right? Yeah, yeah, I have. Nibbling his hands and feet. If you're if you're saying, hey, I'm just enjoying the, the sharks nibbling my hands and feet, I've been shitting my pants. I've been shitting my wetsuit. You know? it's, uh, the only experience I've had: Thailand or on Koh Tao Turtle Island or something like that. They had a bit called Shark Bay. Went yeah. swimming there, underwater, snorkel on, could see small sharks, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's nice, swim away from them. You know, they were yeah, in yeah. a particular area. So an awful jellyfish, that's another story. <laughs> an uh, awful jellyfish? Oh, it was the fucking scariest time. Our last cat swim, she just got like a, um, like say, a what's it called? Flotation of device. Yeah, or yeah you know, like, like a jacket, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, what's it called? Black jacket. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> She's got one of them out, and I'm like, you know... Just pulling her about, you know what I mean? Swimming about, sort of sharks swam away from there, looked into water, and it was one of them jellyfish that's all its arms come out, you know what I mean? Like big lion's mane. It was like that, man. I mean, I looked into water, and the water was just full of this fucking jellyfish, you know what I mean? Turned around for a boat, and it was fucking so far away. With oh, boat, you know no. what I mean? You know, when you do that safety kind of oh, yeah. s- saving life motion, I remember so it. So you lay your back, cubs you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 pounding away, getting away from it, man. I've never, you know, really, I've never put myself under that much stress exercise-wise, but that was... You were a big fat lad then, didn't Exactly, I had a big beer belly floating about, and that, that was probably skate jellyfish. But anyway, around the other side of the island, we went, you know, because we were towed the island on this boat, just jumping out everywhere. And we had no trouble at all, except for this little part, really beautiful, yeah. really, you know, you could stand on the uh, the sand, you know, we were absolutely crystal clear fish everywhere. Then the fish started nibbling, you know what I mean? Oh. They were just nibbling. 
And at first it was like that. Kind of <laughs> then it got to, I didn't fucking like it. You know, you yeah. were panicking, you know what I mean? They were taking those, you know, bite marks out of me, but they yeah. were on me. And, you know, you get that kind of piranha feel. Or, yeah. It got a bit much, you know what I mean? I really swiping them away and it'll become a nuisance. Yeah. Having a little fish. Sharks. Sharks. You shouldn't be taking that approach like, oh, there's some little nibble. Because no, 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 no. with little fingers and that, oh, it was great. What a what an uplifting experience. Let's <laughs> <laughs> eat my thumb off. <laughs> yeah, I've got no heel. <laughs> it's like flipping it. It's like, that yes, it's Indianapolis. They go, oh, I'm just having a bit of fun. <laughs> <laughs> They're only having a laugh. They're only young sharks. <laughs> oh, you should have been this lovely dead doll's eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're doing what sharks do, all natural and that. Yeah, fuck off. They're weird. I don't know, what do you reckon, you reckon related then? Because he could have just seen like a school of sharks, I and mean, he sounds a weirdo anyway. Yeah. In some of this capsizing a bloody kayak, well, really. The other thing I'd be, I'm, I've got an issue with here as well, is schools of sharks off our coast. We don't get schools of sharks off our no coast. Way. The sharks we get aren't schooling sharks. Yeah, yeah. You get a lot more solitary predators and things yeah. like that, and a lot of, most of them are, there's, you get down to the tropical waters and things, then you do get sort of schooling sharks. Yeah. And the other time when you get sharks coming together is when you get particular sort of like feeding seasons. Yeah, so yeah. it's like when you get um, the Food herring. Yeah, in, that's yeah. a massive herring run or something like that. Yeah. There's billions of herring along one coast. Yeah. Tons and tons of one species might turn up on that day because they know it's going to happen. Yeah, but yeah. all the rest of the time, they're solitary. You know, that's yeah. the ones. We do not get those sorts of sharks around the British coast. No, well, um, Isle of Wight, did he say? Where he yeah, he's going to swim around the Isle of Wight. So yeah. it's out of our waters bit in it so would it make yeah, a I mean, difference get, yeah a little bit but not not enough and but i, I think to me to be honest he's seen a shoal of something yeah. and i don't think it was sharks i think he's a sh- seen a shoal of different fish we have a little yeah. bit of nibble on him and things the, like that the related yeah. the story something else is happening yeah, he's just like, oh it's related. sharks i think you know you mate you, yeah, you, you've got yeah. that wrong yeah. but the i think the other creature i don't think it is a shoal i, I don't think there's 50 of them i think something else is coming to the waters there which is big could it be? You've got you know, sharks, whales, like say dolphins and porpoises and all that sort of stuff, seals. Yeah. It's got to have something a bit hard on it, said to crack a kayak, though, hasn't it? You know, yeah, that's it. it. As he said, it's got that sort of musculature, and the fact it was particularly big. God, that's cool, is that? Yeah. Especially like, you know, I know global warming's everywhere, and it suddenly seems to accelerate like crazy, and it lasts yeah, two yeah, weeks. Yeah. You know <laughs> <what> I mean? <laughs> Especially here at Cove. Exactly. Look at Ed on us. <laughs> It's somewhat moved drastically into it. It's somewhat moved up that we don't know, you know, out of the cold depths. Well, it could have been, yeah, that's the thing. It could be creatures. There's there's so much down there. There's so many creatures down there we just don't know about. And it could be the case that, you know, as temperature changes, pressures change, and things like that, things could be rising up and moving in. Cracking awake. Cracking wakes. It could be like that. You know, who knows? But I, I think. From that story we had last week, I think we've had a confirmation there that there was actually something stranger in the waters. Oh, I tell you, obviously they've not seen the fin, a telltale fin. Yeah, yeah. We need some deaths now, don't we? We need some ripped apart. That's something you, know what what you want. That sort of someone thing. munched up, just an head floating about. Yeah, like a just cork. The, <laughs> yeah, again, just the idea of you being a regular visitor. We want yeah, another sighting. Man, yeah, you know, it could be something almost prehistoric in, in nature. You know? Yeah, baby, megalodon. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we need. So yeah. yet again, as we do here, we're going to keep our eye on that particular story and see mm-hmm. what happens and see what rises from the depths. You do a little train.
I saw this story in the week, right? And it's, you know me, I'm a man of the world, been around a bit. You know, oh, I, I know stuff a bit. And, um, this freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because what they've been doing at the moment is, because um, this, this is from a story from Science Alert, but I've seen it a few different places yeah. around, around the internet has, has been this one. I found it really interesting, just what they were doing to start with. Which is, what they've been doing is they've been, um, they've been trying to grow these almost like mini brain cells right, right. in the lab, you know, yeah. from hu human brain cells, you know what I mean? What they call, they're called sort of like human-derived brain organoids. How do you grow that? Like fake material type of well, thing. Well, it is, but the, the reason they grow these things is because rather than actually sort of like studying light, if they've got something they've grown, they can study how brains work mm. uh, and stuff like this. And it's a lot more because we're getting to that absolute cutting edge side of science at the moment, yeah. where you're starting to study how how minds work. Because that's the again, that's almost like the the equivalent of like the deeps of the sea yeah, for yeah. Our, the human bodies. In fact, we just don't know how the mind works. Exactly, we, bagging jelly electrodes. Yeah, and the fact is. Brain, there's, there's also brain matters, you know, you, you, around like, your stomach and your bowel. There's the brain yeah, cells yeah. around these areas and stuff. So they need to know what's happening with the brain and how the brain works and everything. So yeah. what they do, the culture, these little organoids, these tiny little sort of like brains, <laughs> sort of thing, you know. But something happened which completely freaked me out, right? Yeah. So they started growing these little cells and stuff, <laughs> right? And then they thought, oh, other cells are acting a little bit of a weird way. The cells. Grew eyes. Oh, duh. <laughs> you just got like a brain on a pet, what is it, Petri dish, yep. and then it just evolves eyes and starts evolves. looking at you. Yeah. Oh, God, no, what they're doing. So, what happened was on tiny human derived brain organoids grown in dishes, two bilaterally symmetrical optic cups oh, were seen fuck. to grow, mirroring the development of eye structures in human embryos. Flamethrowers now. That's what I said. Burn the lot. Do you want to look? Oh no. Yes, I do, but I don't know why. Oh, that's gross. That is just like a what is? It's just like a dim sum with eyes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it looks like yolk of an egg. Yeah. And basically, then they look two deep black eyes. Proper black yeah. doll's eyes again. Oh gosh, it's like thinking, who's making me? Oh, what it's, the fuck is going on? It is genuinely evolved. How can it evolve that fast? That's just like too fast. See, it, but it shows what, what what level do does that piece of brain, does it need, how quickly yeah. do we yeah, send it? Because yeah. I always remember uh, reading about um, the uh, trilobites, you know what trilobite is? Yeah, those old, um, really old sea things, aren't they? Yeah, know, like first looks like a crustacean yeah. kind of thing, it's, just, it's basically like a sea not an insect, but it's an, yeah. I think they're called orthopods or arthropods. Or a lot of fossils right? in them. Fossils, yeah, yeah, that's it. And they're, they're from really, really old. It's like 165, maybe even older, million yeah. years ago. So like they sea wood like so Yeah, they're they're really very basic. much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And what they develop on the top of their they've they've got eyes on the top of their head, very rudimentary eyes. And that's yeah. what these are. They're like photocells. Yeah. And they're more to actually detect light than anything else yeah. so they know which way is kind of up they also can tell then because they're not really looking ahead with these things very yeah. much that um the eventually 
if something passes above them, like a dark shadow passes above them, then there's a potential predator about yeah, to yeah. stop moving. That's where it's almost like a light sensor, so it's almost like an on-off button light yeah, sensor. Yeah, yeah. That's the way these things were developed. And in a weird way, that's what this brain cell, this organoid, has developed. Oh, just it's trying a, the most basic form of looking after itself all. That's exactly oh, kind Jesus. of it. So this brain has somehow realised, this little brainlet has realised, I need to see. Oh, did it grow as a cock and balls? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I had to go there. Why do we always go there? Because <laughs> we're a pair of Rudies. <laughs> These brain organoids are not true brains, as you might be thinking of them. They are small three-dimensional structures grown from induced pluripotent stem cells. Ooh, is that baby batter? That's like he's like <laughs> with well, baby it, stuff in it. it stem cells cells are harvested from adult humans and reverse engineered into stem cells that have the potential to grow into many different types of tissue. Stem cells are the super weird makeup of what we are. Now, the way they used to do this with stem cells, they used to harvest them by... Um, it, it's pretty gross, really, in a way. They used to sort of, like, aborted fetuses. Or the, yeah, the, that's the, right. The, the Superman cr- loved it all, didn't he? Yeah. He, was, like, he was craving him. He wanted packs of them. What do you mean? Christopher Reeve, you know, he fell off his horse and that. <laughs> <laughs> you're all in wheelchair and he was like a massive supporter like no we must use them and they're like no Superman you're not using them you know what I mean oh. that's like really grim and he's like no no please please <laughs> I'm just ahead now <laughs> I really need them I need more yeah. dead babies please but the way they do it they'd create these cells in the lab it won't like they turn around and find, dig into a bin full of things <laughs> <laughs> something oh there's a switcher <laughs> nice and fresh <laughs> the one like that it was like they would create them in the lab create then, them how do they create them uh, well, when the mummy and daddy love each other very much. <laughs> <laughs> We've been down this road before. <laughs> and they touch wee throughs and rub together. Wee throughs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and they would harvest, they'd have eggs in yeah. the lab. They would have sperm in the lab. Wow. God. And, and then they just grow from, grown from that. Yeah, and it's like, you know. I don't know who's actually sort of like supplying this. Lot. I know that's we know what the scientists are for the sperm. We know where all that's coming yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, would you just do us a favour of a wank in this yeah, jar? Yeah, five minutes. <laughs> yeah. God, it's, but you think about all that, like the um, there's a bit of a scandal about the chop shop. You know, when you donate your body out, yeah, it's, it's a lot grimmer than you think. He's just like going to some nice little shiny lab. It's, it's a chop shop, isn't yeah, it? Are they doing know. that when you donate your? Maybe so, yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's go. So they're growing, right. So they're growing, like that's how they used to do stem cells, but now the way they're doing it is they're taking stem cells from actual adult humans and doing this reverse engineering to create these stem cells. But then because they can these stem cells can actually become anything. They can be encouraged in one way or another to become like brain tissue, finger tissue, bone. Um, this one will become kidneys, liver, whatever. Wow, lung, direct or, it, or, it. That's exactly it. But then it's directing itself. It's directing itself in a weird kind of way. So it's like saying, oh, we're going to make these little brain cell ones. And we look at what brain cells do. The next thing is going to. little spidery legs. She's just created eyes. gone. So yeah, so it's a bit of a weird one. It shows that we just don't know what's going on there, do we? No, oh, that's that's a fast evolution in it. That's really fast. And what's what gives you? What if you were to leave it to keep growing? What else would it develop? Cock and balls in an hand. Like <laughs> <laughs> All the essentials. <laughs> He, he makes you eat spidery legs in a mouth to, for, for it to eat, yeah, isn't it? You know what I mean? Some sort of mouth parts to ingest, uh, yeah. Some brain with a mouth. God, and who's to say, well, I mean, what we're, we're presuming they'd grow into something human? 
maybe the fact is there he can develop into whatever he wants and what what if it's a case where he thinks the situation that he's in if it needs something new yeah, armour and like, yeah. for blood <laughs> yeah I mean, who's to say where it might go I don't know I'm not a scientist you know what I mean but I just thought to myself if this is the thing that can just create a rudimentary as they call it here um, bilaterally symmetrical optic cups which is like the most basic form of an eye then what else could it make Jesus, it's crazy, isn't it? It's going crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think just leave it alone. Burn yeah. it with fire. Yeah, get that, you know, like the thing, in it. You need to pack a flamethrower dudes immediately in that oh, lab. Oh, Do yeah. the scientists as well. Burn them all. Burn them all. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if Steve is wanking in corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After that heavy bit of science. Yeah, give me some happy. Give me a nice, nice palate cleanser, Ooh, don't you? Please. That's what you need. Um, and um, the crankies admit to being swingers and punching Paul Daniels. <laughs> What I have heard about the crankies being swingers before I have heard. Well, it. this is a slightly older news story, is it? Yeah. And this is this must be just when it was first coming out that the crankies were swingers. And things, oh, you know, God. I mean, I've, I've wanted to kind of talk about the crankies for a while because it's such an odd phenomenon. So, yeah. for those who were of a certain age, if you're a bit younger, for example, or you might be not from this country, you might not. not well, who the fucking hell's the crankies? Yeah. Give that a Google. Google images on yeah. that. Well, well, well wow. I'll describe first of all what it was. It was an attack. It was like an act in the eighties more than anything yeah. else, wasn't it? Really? When double acts were king, you know. What yeah, I mean? that's it. And so they're like a comedy sort of like a variety act. Yeah. And what it was, it was like a bloke, right? And he'd come on. And he had this like a weird perm, didn't he? Yeah, a really weird eye. black perm. And he'd come on in, and he, he acted with this schoolboy, this like naughty little schoolboy who was mm-hmm. part of the act. He'd come in and be dead cheeky and those Scottish. school uniform. Yeah, he'd come, this little lad would come on and say, sort of kick him in shins and give him, you know. And they had loads of like little phrases like, fang dabby dozy and stuff <laughs> like this, you know. And he was, and he was, the, the crankers, it was little Jimmy Cranky. Little yeah, Jimmy Cranky yeah. was this little naughty boy and he'd get up to all sorts of like little hijinks and they'd, like, a little comedy act. But what was actually going on <laughs> was the little boy was his wife, right? And he was pretending to be the dad. She was pretending to be a boy, a, boy, a, young, a young boy, boy, a naughty young schoolboy. School and she did look like a little schoolboy, yeah. but in reality she was in her 50s. So that wrinkly face, so that wrinkly, horrible schoolboy face. It's like, and she was about, I think she was about four foot eight or something, yeah, wasn't she? Yeah, she was super, super tiny. Yeah. She was, yeah, she was basically a midget, you know. And, and and but they were the mainstream of sort of like eighties TV. They were yeah, on all sorts of all stuff with the crankies, you know. Shows and all sorts. But it turns out, in the height of their fame and onwards, it turns out they're absolutely active in the swinging community. Oh, God, how nonsense is that though? It's called you know, <laughs> school uniform got involved in it. Little Jimmy Ow. Cranky being a boy and stuff, and it's like absolutely, oh, slow banging, oh, tiny I, little frame and school. Because oh. I mean, the thing is, it's a bit of a thing in it might be in America as well, but in the UK, it's always been a bit of a thing. Oh, I want you to dress like a schoolgirl sort yeah. of thing. It's been always been a bit of a kink as that. Yeah. Weird and all. Yeah, that I find it weird. It's yeah, not like yeah. cup of tea or that yeah. kind of malarkey. But you know, horses for courses. I'm not yeah. going to be too judgmentally, you know. But what point do you think when your wife's going to turn around and say, "I'm small. I could pretend to be like a schoolgirl," and he says. I have a better idea. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend to be a schoolboy. 
Oh. And there's no two ways about it, right? He's banged her in that outfit. Hundred percent. They all have. That whole room of sweaty swingers have been at her. And when she was pretending to be a, do you think she was still pretending to be a schoolboy? I reckon. I think it's all catchphrases are coming out. Fam, dabby, dozy. And she's Smack just queued up, up sucking dicks yeah. as a schoolboy. And he stood there with that hair. What what hair is that? You look at someone else who's got hair like him. Go on. Fred West. <laughs> 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 That's who. That curly wrong in hairdo. <laughs> oh, Fred West. <laughs> he stood in corner. Wanking. Giving it big licks, yeah. Watching school. Oh, God. Watching a schoolboy suck off a load of men. Oh, imagine walking into that. You'd just go blind. I'd go, you'd straight to Madhouse for me. I couldn't go with that. Man. <laughs> I couldn't go with that. It'd be mental. <laughs> and they're all queuing up for Jimmy Cranky. Well, can you imagine as well if you... <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if you turn up to one of these swinging dudes, you know what I mean? You, can, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you didn't know what was going to happen. No, and you saw that Saturday and you saw that, oh, this is great, this is a few yeah. women kicking about. Take clothes off, yeah. yeah. I'm ready to go. Oh, what's this cute? Wrinkly old head at the end of the line. And this weird little thing, like a bloody oh. thing, like, oh, don't look now. Oh, you <laughs> ain't running about room and that. Jesus. <laughs> Jimmy Cranky with his trousers <laughs> up. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, the dirty bastards. What's it about punching Paul Daniels? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently what happened was... Um, <laughs> this is the story. It's, it's, it's like... Um, it's a 1980s TV stars, the Crankies have revealed details about their swinging private lives during a height of their success. And Ian and Jeanette Tuff, which is their real name, right? Uh, Tuff? Yeah, so they're, they're in the 70s now, oh, right? Like, they found fame on children's TV series Crackerjack, <laughs> Macasack. <laughs> <laughs> Confessed to having an anywhere, anytime approach to sex in a detailed interview with BBC Scotland's Edie Stark. The duo told one story about how they nearly ended up in France after a romantic session on a boat and claimed they were always aware of each other's sexual antics. Now, Every 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 scenario they're talking about here is he still got his Fred West haircut, yeah, and she's still dressed as a fucking <laughs> yeah. schoolboy. He's doing it anywhere, anytime. Yeah, absolutely. Because oh. they said we weren't behind each other's backs. We knew what each other was sort of up to, right? And Ian said, right, today it would be in the papers instantly. In those days, people were very good. Oh. So they just kept it nice and quiet. Oh. And the pair also discussed a bar fight with magician Paul Daniels. <laughs> yeah, here we go. The bar fight. <laughs> that followed a show in Jersey. Wow. And Ian, right, who was the guy with the Fred West haircut, yeah, yeah. right, said, I was a bit punchy when I was in my 30s. A bit punchy? A bit stabby? This is, and I think Paul must have been said something to contradict what I was saying. So I just went bang, and we went off the chair, and the whole bar applauded and said it was about time somebody did that. <laughs> oh, imagine being laid out at sticky floor, and they're all like clapping it, and they're like, what? And you, you laid there, there look, what do you think of that, Paul? Yeah. Not a lot. My <laughs> <laughs> fucking front teeth are gone. The next thing he's feeling his trousers being pulled down, and he's bang, gabby, doozy. Oh, climbs on. Get off it. Get off it. Get it off. Get it off. Get it off. Debbie McGee, not happy. I bet. No, no, I'm not. No, no. Sorry. Nothing. Nothing. I didn't see. For Christ's sake, man. Beep it. That fucking metal Mickey's a fucking necrophiliac or something. 
Bogi 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 bogi. Cheers for that palate cleanser, our kid. <laughs> brain. Well, oh, maybe this will maybe this will be the refresher that you need. You I know, what I mean? because yes. it's like you know. Now, have you heard of a Tameshi Giri? No. Right. Um, so Tameshi Giri, right, is the Japanese art, uh, art of target test cutting. Target test cutting. So you might have seen it on a lot of these things, like if you're watching, you know, if you're watching anything on like Samurai Swords on yes. like the, the Discovery Channel, and you suddenly see a guy dressed in all the right gear, so mm-hmm. sweep across these big sheaves of sort of like corn or wheat or something. Oh yeah, like, it's that. Yeah. Ah, right, That's yeah. what that is. You know what I mean? I find it quite quite interesting. All yeah. that sort of malarkey, especially because I'm fascinated by uh, Samurai Swords. <laughs> yeah, man. It's one of my favourite subjects, and there is. Um, I can't remember the name of the uh, TV show, but you can still find it on. Uh, I think it's on BBC iPlayer and stuff like this. Yeah. I think it was called something like The Art of Japan or something like. You know, basically, or, or made. I think it was called Made in Japan, and they covered things like one of them was making a samurai sword, one of them yeah. was making a clay pot, which doesn't sound amazing. But yeah, was. but yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them was making a kimono, yeah. uh, and there was, there was something else about three yeah, or four the full things. Weird yeah. traditions of it, yeah, yeah, deep, and, deep traditions. And it's also they make it in silence. All right. So you're just watching the process. Of yeah, the man, it. that's just cool. so cool. Yeah. And even like to the, the art of sharpening, there's, there's one guy, and that's all he does is sharpen blades. Wow. And he just sits and sharpens till this thing is insanely sharp. Oh, Jesus. And um, we recently went to the Royal Armouries in Leeds. Cool. They've got, got, got swords there, which are just the best. Yeah, I was, I was remembering oh, years God. ago. And you're fun. looking at this sword and you think, this sword is 600 years old. It looks yeah. literally like it's just come out of a factory yeah. that makes the highest end steel on the planet. Yeah. So I don't know whether they've got a price on these swords, but they're just <laughs> insane to make and build, and they're just, just beautiful things. Mm. you know. And a great way of showing what a samurai sword can do is this uh, tamashigiri, hmm. where the, you know there's different ways of cutting it, and it is taken down to being like a fine art, and it literally means a test cut. That's right, what the word yeah. means, you know. I said during the Edo period, only the most skilled swordsmen would were, were allowed to test cut and test swords, so the swordsman's skill was not questionable in determining how well the sword cut. So you'd have to use the best. Yeah. And then you would, wouldn't turn it in question and say, "Well, that, mm, that were a bit wonky, that you know, that yeah, cut, you know." And yeah. it's down. It's actually the guy who was sweeping the sword. Yeah. No, it's always down. It have to be down to the blade, you know. But the uh, the materials used to test swords used to vary greatly, and uh, some substances were like wara, which is rice straws, mm-hmm. uh, goza, the top layer of tatami mats. So it's the same stuff that makes that, you know. And uh, bamboo, and even thin steel sheets were used Jesus. to sort of prove just how yeah. uh, how effective they were, right? But the thing that interested me uh-huh. was, in, in addition to this, there were wide variety of cuts used on cadavers. Oh. So one of the main ways, because that's what the purpose of the sword was to cut human. Yeah. So, so they tested it, right? On I'm glad they're dead already, though. I thought you were going to say, la- oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually used to use it on convicted criminals. Shit. So there was different cuts. One was the tabigata, which was ankle cut. Oh. 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 The okesa, 
which is the diagonal cut from shoulder to opposite hip. Ugh, straight nice. through the entirety of the torso. So, like, is that your back or front? Going so, the, well, I don't well, think, one in I there one, you know what I mean? So, but what they're saying is these swords were sharp enough to get a sweep that'd go through an entire human body. What, all the way through? All the way, not just a cut, cut in half. <gasps> so oh, you would go through shit. the very top of the, the shoulder there, straight oh. through, clean slice all the way through, and coming out just above your hip oh bone. Oh my god, and it'll just slip. <laughs> yes. Uh. The names of the types of cuts on cadavers show exactly where the, on the body the cut was made. Older swords can be found with inscriptions of the Nakago, or a, it's like a kind of tang, right? Mm. That say such things as five bodies with Ryugoruma, which is the hip cut, straight across the hips. Five! So they don't need five times. Five one times. Side, so they really want, look, look, look again. So basically five bodies. Ain't one enough. So such an inscription, known as the Tamashi Mei, or Sadan Mei, which is a cutting signature, would add greatly to a sword's value, compensating the owner somewhat for the large sums of money typically charged for the test. So obviously to get hold of a body or use it on a criminal or whatever it is, it costs an awful lot of money to do that. But that adds to the price of the blade, but makes it all the more worthwhile. Wow. You know? So aside from the specific cuts made on cadavers, there were the normal cuts of Japanese swordsmanship, which was downward diagonal, kesagiri, upward diagonal, kiriadje, or gayaku keza, horizontal, and straight downward, the jodangiri, right? So these also were the same sorts of cuts, straight across, straight through, straight down, you know what I mean? I can see them like Japanese movies from the 70s, you're all blood pisses <laughs> That's it, you know. But the, there's an apocryphal story of a condemned criminal who, after being told he was to be executed by a sword tester using a kesagiri, which is the uh, downward diagonal, which is yeah. from shoulder to hip, right? Mm. He calmly joked that if he had known that was going to happen, he would have swallowed large stones to damage the blade. <laughs> you know, but but thing is as well, with we've got to realise that the ankle cut and things like this, obviously those wouldn't kill the people involved. Yeah. So it's a case of saying like a criminal, right, bring a criminal out, we're gonna have an ankle cut, we're gonna have a wrist cut, we're gonna you know so oh, just stump you up completely. Stump you up, bandage him up, back send him back to jail, you know. Oh, use God. him again later. Well, in them days, man, I cut my fingers all the other day. I thought I was going to piss him down. You chop your, ankle, your foot off. I know, bleak, <laughs> innit? Thing is, as well, with these blades, it'll happen. It'll just, it'll just feel like you're being tapped. It'll just feel like you're just being tapped. It won't feel like, ah! Because yeah. you, you won't feel any pain. It'll just feel like a, it'll feel like a swift knock. And then you'll think, oh, my foot's on the floor. Oh, God. <laughs> Imagine that. Gordon. But during the Sino-Japanese War and World War Two. Japanese officers routinely tested their new swords on captured Allied soldiers and Chinese civilians. Whoa. Lieutenants Mukai and Noda held a competition to see who could behead 100 people fastest using a katana, which is a large samurai sword. So they had 200 people lined up and them two nutters going at it? Yes. You're about serial killers sometimes and you get people like that. Fucking hell. I mean, that's in a day. 100 people. That's what I mean. They're just racing down line, laughing and... Hack, 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 hack. You know what I mean? (laughs) Jesus. So, um, the story was spread by only one Japanese newspaper, the Mancini Simbon, in 1937. 
Tokyo District Court Judge Akio Doi, in charge of judging the matter in Japan, later said, The lieutenants admitted to the fact that they raced to kill 100 people. We cannot deny that the article included some false elements and exaggeration, but it is difficult to say the article's fiction not based on fact. And the fact is, they admitted it. Oh, so they're like showing off to papers as well, like, God, we had a, we had a right day that day. I think in Japan, they, they'd lost the plot so much. It did seem like that even more. Than yeah, really they lost direction last, so it? much. And it's and it's interesting because, again, I've been reading and uh, studying an awful lot to do with Japan during the sort of, like, the sort of 1500s and stuff yeah. like this. Whereas the issue they had sort of between 1500 and 1600, and onwards into sort of like the 1750s, 1800s as well, big issue they had is too many samurai. Because what had happened in the hundreds of years before that, all they'd been doing is warring consistently with each other for power. God. And the majority of anybody any knew was just war. That's all they knew oh was God. just constant, brutal warfare. Internal as well. Yeah. And it's got to that point where when they did find peace in Japan at one point, they thought, well, what can I do? Because with all these samurai, what do you do with a shit ton of samurai? Yeah. You invade China. Oh, God. But the only way for, for Japan to invade China efficiently, right, is actually they wanted to go through uh, South Korea. So they yeah. actually wrote to South Korea, did the Japanese, says, look, do you mind if we just sort of like trot through your country uh, to get to to get to China? And of course, South Koreans said, uh, well, we're friends with China. Yeah. And if you we let you through, they're gonna, China's going to turn around and say, well, dude, what are you doing, man? Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So they said no. Um, the Japanese were furious and basically just hacked their way through South Korea, uh, just murdering everybody they came across in right. insane brutality. Oh, Man, woman God. and children, everybody just was put to the sword. But because they were so brutal, the, the South Koreans actually rose up oh, yeah. and uh, ended up made it so difficult in the guerrilla warfare tactics nice, yeah, that they couldn't yeah. get on any further. And okay. it's just it just made it too difficult for them because they were just losing everything on the land. Well, it's like I say, it's a land land war in Asia. It's yeah. one of the worst things you can do. If you're an island, you've got you, you can get you back to the sea at some yeah. point. If you're wading your way towards China through the landlocked countries, bah, not yeah. happen. You know what I mean? But yeah, but, but because of that history and the honour and the way they held up their sort of like the, that whole side of things it's like they, they just thought they were samurai again did wow. these you know and it's like when we talk about the like uh, kamikaze warriors and things yeah. like this you think what, what are you on about kamikaze missions that's stupid yeah, you know honor of it but it's in their history so much that anything happens you just commit suicide Is it, have you ever heard of the 47 ronin yeah, I think there's a film with Canoe Reeves. In yeah, there. <laughs> which massive cultural appropriation. You know what I mean? There I haven't seen it. Like yeah, that. well, it's I've not seen the film, but uh, it's super interesting subject. Basically, what it is, they uh, there was like their their lord, these these the samurais. If you have a, if you don't have a uh, if you you can be a samurai, but you are a samurai working for this particular yeah. emperor or lord or whatever it is, yeah. you know. This lord had been for whatever reason with another, and this more powerful lord forced this this guy to kill himself. Wow. And the run and his own sort of like his own retinue was suddenly now without a leader. Yeah, so yeah. they was they'd become Ronin now. Yeah, they were samurai, masterless, they were masterless yeah. samurai, exactly. Now the Emperor had known all this has gone on and said, Right, you're not allowed to make a retribution for this, you're not allowed to kick off, it's yeah. happened, let's just sweep it onto yeah, the carpet. Yeah, yeah. The Ronin decided, 
fuck that. <laughs> and they just went on the rampage and tacked the the Lord, the guy who did it, wow. Lord, Lord Gilroy, and they just, and it's a really, really famous and it's the prince of it is superb. Oh my god. And um they basically just went completely mental to these guys. And only forty seven of them, but the tech in the took everybody, yeah. They oh, took, and they swept through this place and just killed and burned everyone. Yeah. Uh, and the palace that they actually attacked the best thing about it, obviously, fires raging and everything like that. And as soon as they'd won, they put all the fires out and tidied everything up, so, <laughs> out, so that the, the fire wouldn't spread to other people's properties. Yeah, yeah. Their beef was with that one. Property, <laughs> oh, and the way and they just clinically yeah. removed that. But because they'd gone against the emperor's orders, Shit. they all had to kill themselves. <gasps> and they did it. Yeah. Oh, that's mad. Well, there was, there was meant to be forty-eight with Ronan going. Well, ran off. <laughs> well, well, no, because he was going to go on the mission. But his father expressly forbid him to go on the mission because wow. he was so young, and because he needed him to look after him in his old age. He yeah. said, "No, I need I need you here." Yeah. But then he was torn between staying behind and looking after his father, yeah. or going on the mission, and he couldn't choose between the two. So for honor, he killed himself. Oh God! Yeah. But they were so <laughs> sad with the other Ronin that they um, that they brought with him their their sword with him. Yeah, as, yeah. So they used his sword in combat at times. Wow, to keep him with him. So, yeah. so it was like the spirit of him was with them. And these uh, superb set of prints that you can get, which I've got some copies of, not actual yeah, you know, yeah. decent, well, I'd love a, a proper copy of it, of the running in action sort wow. of thing, what they're doing. And one of the prints is this very faded print, really, really faded, and that's him. Ah, it's saying like his ghost form in action. Yeah, man. And the outfits they wore at the time, superb. It's saying, you know, like Japanese samurai yeah, outfits. Yeah. Well, their outfits was like a black or a white, regardless yeah. of what you think it is, like a massive white gown or robe sort of thing, yeah. with huge black zigzags on it. Yeah. So it's like these big pointy, almost like shark's teeth pattern, massive, oh, right? God, and that's yeah. what they all wore. And that's like their sort of signature outfit. Yeah. It was a 47 Ronin. Whoa, that's you a right know? star. i got to go watch the canoe movie now. Yeah, oh, don't do that. Okay. There, there's a good book out. There's good books on the subject. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I think there's a very, very good graphic novel on it as well. Oh, I bet, yeah. But yeah. I will. Uh, I'll post up some of the pictures of the forty-seven running in action of the yeah, original sort of woodcut, woodblock prints, because yeah. they're just super pieces of art. But I'm good to get back to what we're talking about with the swords and things like yeah. this. You know, it is the mindset of the uh, Japanese was very much honour yeah. uh, and being cold and calculating, not being, not showing any mercy. And that's as a result, they became too cold and too calculating and too mm. brutal, really. And they were proud. It was seen as a good thing to be that cold and brutal. It was like the, the mindset of the samurai. Yeah. But of course, we can all look back on it now. And the Japanese do look back on their actions in World War II. Yeah. With great regret. Great shame. And he great. took it all away. And where did he get to? Buying schoolgirls spit out of some like little machine at the side of the road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it definitely is. It's one or the other. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the way of the yeah. samurai, you have to look yeah. at the honourable side of things. And, yeah. you know. Then... Schoolgirls bit. And schoolgirls bit, yeah. Your internet search history is all fucked up. Into, mm, yeah, you, yeah. Know, so like, if we get a new phone, I throw it on a fire and then throw it in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think you'd get if you were to uh, Google um, a soap mummy? Mmm. <laughs> I think you'd just get like a soapy mummy in the bath or something. I <laughs> Some milf. <laughs> so, you wouldn't get a corpse? 
I don't reckon a soap mummy. Are you we're going to Egypt here or something? Well, we are, but a lot of mummification is in a lot of different cultures as well. You know, what I mean? soap mummy. Yeah. So you do get soap naturally when you burn bodies, or you get that kind of you start getting that stuff the Nile uh, yeah I'm going to still say Egypt time and the Nile or something right so let's have a little look here this is from Ripley's Believe It or Not courtesy of Donald E. Hulbert from the Smithsonian Institute <laughs> and he says death is a mysterious part of life and the only certainty is that when you die the elements will take your toll will take a toll on your body if you choose to be disposed of through the rite of cremation your body will dissipate into smoke and ash those who wish to be interred in a cemetery will decompose through the aid of insects and bacteria. Mm. Left in a dry environment, as the ancient Egyptians were fond of, flesh can harden and mummify. And, on very rare occasions, under just the right conditions, your body may turn into soap. Well, right, yeah, she's half. If you can burn... Actually, is it the Andes where they burn the bodies and the... Is it the Indian tradition? Some, some of them smoke <clears throat> some of the body. Oh, in, yeah. in the Ganges. Ganges, yeah. Yeah, I'll say the Ganges, yeah. Or did I say the Handies? Yeah, the Andes. The Feetsies? So let's say in a chemical process called saponification, or making into soap, is at work in these instances. People initially use this process to make soap out of vegetable oils and animal fats. Now, typically, the, the triglycerides in fatty materials evolve into soap through the help of a chemical component, such as lye or sodium chloride. But when saponification happens to humans, it's generally not on purpose. Fight Club notwithstanding. Yeah, <laughs> Bodies that end up in a water or soil with the right enzymes can have their fat turned into wax. When the rest of this body decays, it leaves just the skeleton covered in a thick deposit of tan or greyish-white soap. God, you just think, yeah, the fat's got to go somewhere. I'll change mm. into something. Exactly. Such is the case with soap mummies, <laughs> whose bodies have converted fat deposits into waxy substance. Known as adipokir, colloquially called grave wax or corpse wax, this material generally forms in environments that are warm, wet, devoid of oxygen and in the presence of bacterial enzymes, as Caitlin Doherty of Ask a Mortician explains. Basically, in its formation, putrefaction is replaced by a permanent firm cast of fatty tissues on internal organs and face. Whilst ostensibly any body has the potential to become a soap mummy, these oddities are rare. Two of the, fo the most famous are the Soap Lady, <laughs> displayed in the Muta Museum in Philadelphia, and the Soap Man, displayed at the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. Both specimens were exhumed from the same Philadelphia graveyard in 1875 as construction on a new train depot required the removal of grave sites. Water had seeped into both caskets, bringing alkaline soil with it and preventing the bodies from decaying the way most buried bodies do. So would you like a look at a soap mummy? <laughs> I certainly don't want to smell one. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Wow. Because it is like a skull. 
and it's just got like a big soapy Santa beard on it and that. I'm about to say how the big fatty bum bums and they do look like quite large there even in death it looks like a quite a large person well that's what I'm wondering is that as well I think you've got to have a certain plain amount of body fat you know yeah, because yeah. other ones just sort of wither and stuff I think you've that's got to be it. quite a bum then it, like, it sounds like a bit of quite a damp condition swimming about in a bit of moisture and like some other just, kind of soupy stuff it just turns to soap can you imagine what an ending? Right, wash your hands with it though. You know, <laughs> some things into work, like, Well, that's that the thing. Up? It's like a green issues now. You know what I mean? Rather messing things like just wheel one of these fuckers <laughs> yeah. out in the bathroom. It'll you know? last you a while. Go to that that <laughs> study corner. <laughs> that study corner. Tell the kids wash your hands. Go on, wash your hands. Don't get the COVID. Don't get the Rona. Say hello to soup, mummy. Stop <laughs> crying. <laughs> I can only reach his Jennies. <laughs> Get a good lather up. <laughs> oh, no, it's, that's gross, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> really it's is horrible, weird. is that? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's basic. Mm. So, what we need to do is uh, perhaps we'll have a little look on Google later on and see if we'll just pop soap mummies in and hope something yeah. nicer pops up. <laughs> I don't know, I'm pretty spent already. I can have done for the springtime when we take the road once more for the planting and the purling and the berry fields of blur. We'll meet up with our kinfolk. From all the world around, when the gang of bird folk take the road and yellows on the broom, when yellows on the broom, when yellows on the broom, and I'll get you on the road again. When yellows on the broom. Now this is a story that I've been wanting to cover, a subject that I've been wanting to cover for a while now, and it's all like just finding the right way of doing it, you know. But it's something that I just found really strange because it, it started with just one subject, which I'm going to sort of roll into. Mm -hmm. We're actually going to roll over quite a few little subjects here. They all lot roll into one thing. So I'm not going to start with the subject I wanted to talk about. Yeah. We're hopefully going to roll into it. But this is something I found very odd and only found it recently, this. And this is the Native American beliefs in little people. Oh. Which I just suddenly thought... Hang about. That yeah. sounds like we were talking before about loads of different people having like belief in that fairy folk and yeah, things like yeah, that. I've never right. heard it over there. No, but apparently it's a super in-depth in sort of thing. Yeah. So stories and religious beliefs about little people are common to many, if not most, Native American tribes, right? In the in the West. Yeah. So it's that sort of, which is again a, an important thing because the West. We didn't have any contact with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. That's what's so fascinating with the Americas, isn't it? But what they refer to these as, they refer to them as stick Indians. Ooh. Which is, so in 1804, the Lewis and Clark expedition stayed for a time with a band of uh, Sioux Indians uh, at the Vermilion River in modern day South Dakota. Mm -hmm. On August 25th, Meriwether Lewis, William Clark, and 10 other men travelled about nine miles north of the river's junction with the Missouri River to see. The Mountains of the Little People. Cool. Now, Lewis wrote in his journal that the little people were devils with very large heads and about 18 inches high. Fuck, he saw them. This is about a foot and a high. And they were very alert to any intrusion into their territory. Now, the Sioux said that the devils carried sharp arrows which would strike at a very long distance and that they killed anyone who approached their mound. So they had like on these mountains, the mountains of the little people, they had like these these mounds. Yeah. 
Now, the little people so terrified the local population, Lewis reported, that the Maha and Ottos and Sioux would not go near the place, right? So these Indians said, no, yeah, totally yeah, off ground, yeah, you yeah, do yeah. not go there, right? Too much trouble. And the, the Lakota people who came to live near the Spirit Mound after the Sioux have a story no more than 250 years old which describes how a band of 350 warriors came near the mound late at night and were nearly wiped out by the ferocious little people and the survivors were crippled for life. Oh my god. So Crow folklore says that little people live in the Pryor Mountains, a small mountain range in Carbon County, Montana and Bighorn County, Montana. Now petroglyphs on rocks in the mountains, the crows say, were made by these demon-like creatures. They've got art made by them. Oh, right? God. Because the little people live there, the mountains are sacred to the crow. Now, the little people are said to be no more than 18 inches or knee high. Oh. Right? Now, crow folklore differs slightly from other tribes in describing the little people of the prior mountains as having large, nearly round bellies, <laughs> incredibly strong, but short arms and legs. And little or no neck, right? God. Like little Tysons, aren't they? Yeah. So in the story of Lost Boy or Burnt Face, the crow told of a little person who killed a full-grown bull elk and carried it off just by tossing the elk's head over its shoulder. What? <laughs> right. The crow expression, strong as a dwarf, <laughs> references the incredible strength of these little people. However, they are incredibly fierce warriors feed primarily, primarily on meat, and have many sharp canine-like teeth in their mouths. Ooh. And nearby tribes told stories of the little people tearing the hearts out of their enemies' horses. <sighs> stories which may have helped to keep these tribes from making war on the crow. And each year, the crow made an offering to the little people at Medicine Rocks, also known as Castle Rocks, right, where they believed some little people lived. And the Prior Mountains, little people, were also known for stealing children, food, medicine, and tobacco. The crow also believed that little people created stone arrowheads, for the crow themselves only knew how to make bone arrowheads. Anyone who tried to play a trick on the little people would incur their wrath, which usually, in, which usually destroyed him and his entire family. Jesus. And the little people, sometimes referred to as spirit dwarves, were also said to be able to confer blessings or spiritual insight to certain individuals. So generally speaking, the crow would refuse to enter the prior mountains due to their belief in the little people, right? So basically, there they you have the these sort of the little people, these dwarves, or uh, as they call them, stick Indians, yeah. which is a bit of another strange title for you. I mean, what so what do you think of that? Well, I believe you know, like we've had the pygmies in you know, like the the rainforest, you know, what I mean, totally believable. You're just like another race that's kind of derived maybe from humans or I don't think it's mm. evolved on its own, but you know, you just think those missing links, there could have been all sorts of like different uh, subspecies of us. It makes me remind me of that story, that, remember that, that pendant and that um, like, um, you know, like a Nordic kind of pendant and he said it was protecting him from that dwarf, you remember well, that? Very much so, very yeah. much so, you know what I mean? I do believe that is a piece of skull, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. With, the, with, it, with sort of Celtic runes. Strong as a dwarf. Strong that's as a kind dwarf. Of that's terrifying, isn't it? A lot of them at you with little sharp sticks first and they're coming and pull your horse's heart out. Well, there's another thing here, which another piece I wanted to sort of read to you as well about, about stick people, stick Indians, right? Yeah. And this is, have you ever seen an animal that just didn't behave quite right? 
Maybe it was the way it stared it down, uh, it stared you down, or the way it moved, but it just wasn't normal. If you're like many people who have experienced this, it's an experience that fills you with dread. So stick people, or stick Indians, are an evil race of shape-shifting monsters Ooh. that live in the woods and prey on human beings. And nothing pleases them more than striking fear into humans and killing them in brutal, savage ways. When a stick man is around, forests will go suddenly quiet. Which is what I've experienced. Oh, yeah. You'll notice an animal that might be a bit too large or just acting straight. Yeah. So this is talking about. That's it, you know what I mean? It's things like that. But then again, if you think as well about um, Deb's experience of something strange where, you know, she's seen something super strange. Yeah. And, and everything goes quiet, everything goes weird. You get the atmosphere, you get well, the feeling. Like that feeling I had in Thailand as well. Exactly. God. So the more you stare at the animal, the more, more you'll experience a feeling of gripping life or death dread. That is, if the stick person actually decides to shapeshift into an animal. Sometimes it will literally be a mass of sticks that start to carry you away to their lair before they rip you to shreds. If you're female, watch out. You may disappear because one of them may take you for a wife. Oh, God. Chillingly, these creatures are also known to make a trademark chatter. Like a and according to the legends, anyone who sees one of these creatures in their true form will end up losing their mind. Fuck. Now, as we said before, that's a reminder of something we've already sort of seen before, something we might have experienced. Yeah. But do you remember the story that we told a few weeks back called The Stick Boy? Where there was a young lad and he was waiting for his... Oh, yeah? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> so that America's are In America. Oh, so I'm thinking that's what basically he's seen. He's seen a stick Indian. He's seen a stick man or a stick boy. God, and as I said before, made up of sticks. Yeah, which you said there. You know, the the atmosphere totally changed and went yeah, weird. Yeah. You know, what I mean, that's he's just highlighting exactly what he could have, what, what could have been seen there. So no relation to the skinwalkers or anything like that. Or is that there anything? is uh, there's no direct relation to that, but it's yeah. linked yeah, to the yeah. skinwalker ranch as well. Is that yeah. so not just the skinwalker kind of phenomenon? Yeah, that bit where it can change, it can fake, yeah. it can. You know what I mean? But I suppose that's a human turning into that. In yeah. it, just seem like the. But there, there is a there is a massive belief system within the Indians though, that is around absolute, absolute truth isn't they think oh that's it these dwarves oh. these stick men these these stick Indians they are there they are real you know you what's the area with... like now then is it populated is it still like still in middle desolate of no... middle yeah. of nowhere it's still still sort of empty and left but I mean I, I think it, it wasn't just that one area they have lots of different American tribes yeah. believe in these little people these stick Indians yeah. or these sort of particular powers now the thing that really interests me right is the mounds that they associate with mm, them. They tell yeah. these are these mounds and everything like that, right? This is where it gets me to the subject that I wanted to talk about before, because comparable to those is, have you heard of a fairy fort? Yeah, I have heard some of that. I don't really know what it is, but I've heard of them. Fairy forts are in Ireland, yeah. right? And they are sort of the remains of stone circles, ring forts or hill forts or other potentially circular prehistoric dwellings in Ireland. From possibly the late Iron Age to Christian to early Christian times, so these could have been things three thousand years old. These are like little rings and stones, and some yeah. of them are real. Some of them are just like circular, um, like circles of trees on the top of hills and things. Yeah. And all these things are sort of imbued with sort of mystical powers, and are believed to be the home of little people. Mm. So yet again, we're finding these sort of hills and shapes, mounds in the wilderness, yeah. which are meant to be 
the home of either leprechauns or or sort of some sort of like magical small creatures. I still, like, I, I just there, uh, you just remind me of Twin Peaks. This is like the ending on the second series when he goes into a circular ring of trees. Uh, into like this other kind of weird dimension, you know what I mean? But the, all the way through it is like a dwarf leading him into it, you know what I mean? Talking backwards and stuff in loads of different series. You just think, Jesus, that's a. <laughs> uh, that's it, it's, it's still a sort of comparable thing, uh, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Well, this is a piece by uh, Marion McGarry for Brainstorm, right? Um, and they're saying that uh, in, the, in the recent rural past, uh, Ireland's ring force was associated with fairy activity and supernatural happenings, mm. like portals. She says, when I visited my grandparents' house as a child, I heard my relatives refer to a fairy fort in the back field. It was left untouched by human hands. No ploughing or planting or even grazing of livestock was allowed there. On walks, we went around it rather than through it, and its eroded banks were left overgrown. It was not much to look at, standing next to it, but if viewed from above, it would show a remarkable, vague, man-made circle of vegetation. Looking down from a plain, you'll see these circles dotted across Ireland. These are the most profuse archaeological monuments in Ireland, the Ring Fort, often referred to as the Fairy Fort. Some, not all, have a dual reputation as places of historic dwelling and as supernatural places that allow access to the other world. Wow. And my relatives jokingly called this a Fairy Fort and avoided it just in case of bad luck. Now, like many rural people, they understood that it was made what it was, a man-made structure from older, long-forgotten times. Yeah. So ring forts date from a time broadly spanning from the Iron Age to the early medieval period. Depending on the region, the earthen constructions are known as raths, lisses, or duns. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're like um, dun is also a term which a lot of places like dun like. Uh, Goes to sort of uh, barrows, you know, like yeah. burial mounds and I'll stuff like that. Say, yeah, yeah. Well, a bit lard at rings as well, yeah. with them, isn't it? Very much so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the stone version are known as cashels. In fact, there is an area in Ireland called Cashel wow. after these sort of yeah, constructions, exactly. yeah. In the original forms, they may have contained wooden buildings and fences. As timber structures do not last in the Irish climate, all that is left is the remnants of the outline, covered in vegetation. So obviously where the being is yeah. still there, but it's just wood scars. Yeah, you that's scars. Scarred, actually, an excellent yeah, word yeah, for it. That's yeah. a, that's probably the perfect word for it. It's the scars left by it, you know. So they form part of the landscape, giving place names and markers for local geographical identities. Rooted in the local, they inevitably became associated with local customs and folklore. And many customs in Irish rural life have been dominated by superstitious beliefs, particularly fairy belief. In Irish tradition. Fairies could be dark and malevolent, a bit like our stick people. Yeah. And interference with or by them could make or break a family's look, health, livestock, home or fortune. Essentially earth or nature spirits, they were thought to occupy a parallel universe. Mm. Often conducted underground and mostly invisible to the human eye. But they were deemed to be omnipresent, with the ability to hear and see things at all times. In the recent past of rural Ireland, many forts and some ancient monuments were associated with fairy activity. Their crossing over into the real world was facilitated by liminal spaces, and chief portal points were fairy forts. Objects from the past were found in fields, were explained away as being their property. This would include prehistoric artefacts, Bronze Age axes, arrowheads and spinning whirls, known as thunderbolts, 
fairy darts or fairy millstones. So people avoided these places because they were thought to belong to the fairies. And people even built their homes away from sites associated with fairies and away from fairy paths. When planning the building of a house, the selection of a site was not to be over a fairy assembly place or near a path thought to be used by them. Now this is um, this is something that's quite sort of common around those times, you know what I mean? It's like people, you know, you'd avoid the fairy forts yeah. and anything to do with them, you know. So the um, the school's folklore collection abounds with tales of creepy goings on at fairy forts and of people who meddled with them, incurred bad luck, or who came to a bad end. One farmer who thought it no harm to plough a fairy fort brought to the following crushingly terrible sequence of events onto his head. That night, when he went to bed, his money was stolen from him. The next morning, when he went to plough, his horses were dead in the stables. His plough was gone also. All that year, he had no luck. His cattle were stolen, the house went on fire, and his crops were all destroyed. And it even comes to sort of like more, um, more recent times. Many European countries have similar folk traditions um, and beliefs like the, the fairy forts and things like this, right? But as a child, I'd heard that the demise of the DeLorean business, right, in Belfast was attributed to a place of the fairies being destroyed to facilitate the construction of the factory. Oh, so the DeLorean the car business, yeah, you know what I mean? And that uh, went busted. Oh, you went... The business itself was founded on a bit of a. I think he actually went to prison. Did the, the owner of DeLorean? Uh, yeah, it was. It was all. There's a lot of embezzlement, money fanning around, mm. lots of things going on that were a bit wrong. Lots of bad luck. Yeah. Lots of bad luck with the business as well. Um, and like I said, they're saying here, they say that it's because it was built on a fairy fort. God, you know. So it's like it's a bit of a, a bit of a sort of like strange way of doing but things. But still carries on into these kind of modern era. Well, it does. But the issue we're having now, massive problem we're having in Ireland, is because they have like these booms in the economy. Things are happening in Ireland now at a great pace. Mm. Um, infrastructure's been. I mean, the road system in Ireland's great as it stands. But they don't really have motorways as we have them. Yeah. Um, they've got a really kind of a bit of a weird system. They've got the nearest they'll do to a motorway is a road with a very, very deep, hard shoulder. Yeah. So that if you wants to, somebody wants to get past quite often, all you do is you're slow, you just pull over to the other one and let people pass. Yeah. But um, obviously, the, as the economy grows, they need better road systems where they're building. God. They're starting to build across fairy forts and stuff. Wow. And it's, these things are being protected for thousands of years and now, now sadly, oh, by, by the dozens, God. being destroyed. Things like the uh, trees, the, the special sort of like religion, you know, like yeah. like uh, uh, certain trees, which are hawthorns and things, which are thought of being sacred, cut down. Oh. Certain rocks being removed, fairy forts being bulldozed. Oh, it's yeah. sinful, isn't it? But are they going to become the phenomena of the future? You know, when you get like spooky roads and people images and I think so, very much so. Yeah, you know what I mean, it could be old or just bad luck roads, isn't it? Massive accident rates and. Jesus, they should leave stuff like that alone. There must be a better way to do stuff. Well, in Iceland, they do. They they move around it. They go around ah, it. Still. Yeah, they, yeah. Same sort of thing. There's a particular rock of thing that's considered to be a part of the elven sort of yeah. people, uh, the the, the uh, invisible people. Yeah. Like, they refer to them as there. They say no. I love all that. It's like the Yule cat and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Yule cat. That's what the Yule stuff. cat? Well, I think it was made up by the. Um, the um, factory owners and stuff because they used to make a lot of clothing and stuff but they used to say like if you're not smart at Christmas you know the Yule cat will come and get you and you know we really need to make these clothes come on guys all the Yule cat gigantic just like a cat but absolutely massive and savage well if you think about that as well straight away like the stick people saying if you see an animal that's too big oh yeah usually oh god yeah 
So I think we're starting to sort of get connections here with things. What yeah, could that's be a, a fascinating one for the Americas, though. It's untouched, but that could be just like that cipher yeah. stone that kind of like explains the other stuff. Oh, very good story. I yeah, like it's good that. design. It's this good little link there. We've yeah. gone through from the stick boy. Yeah. We've gone to the stick Indians. Yeah, We've yeah. gone through the fairy forts, almost like the, the their version of a fairy fort. Oh, over those the, mounds the are everywhere, and they're so rich in his histories yeah. and his, uh, even fictional histories. It goes on, doesn't it? Yeah. That's, that's well, because we have those things here as well, certain mounds here, which yeah. are sort of like going to be sacred and stuff like that. You know. And again, I've got a drawing here of our the nearest one we've got to us. Ah, that's, that the 12, that's the Twelve Apostles. Oh, that's top, it, yeah, yeah. That's the Twelve Apostles at night, is that? I might put a picture of that on our... Yeah, do we, because that's yeah. beautiful, is that? Well done with that, like yeah, moonshine. So I ain't been up there for years, I need to have a toddle out there. I know, that's a, it needs to be done, but mm. unfortunately, kid, it's that time, Oh, that time again! Yeah, so unfortunately there was a story that I was planning <sighs> to read to you today, which I said I'd read in the last episode, I said I'd read out. You big tease, I'm you're, you're getting, you're getting your worth out of this one, aren't oh, you? I'm no, really milking it yeah, out, Get know. the hook in, keep pulling. But uh, it's because that turned into such a big story. It were worth it though, yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, that worth, really worth a romping it, so yeah. I promise, yeah. I promise we'll do it next you week. You better do, yeah, I'm going to yeah. steal it off you and do it myself. So it just remains for us to say it's a big bye-bye from Matt. Let's say a big goodbye from Benny. Take care, guys. Take care. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at podcast at gmail.com on Twitter at Cove or Instagram at Kraken Cove. Ha ha!